correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Roll for initiative. Hello, Gamer Nation, and welcome to the Roll for Initiative podcast. This is issue number, well, we're going to call it 6B for now. This is going to be a short one. I am your host, DM Vincent, along with my uh, co-host, DM Jason. Jason, how are you this week? Ha! We're back. It's Jason. Hey, (laughs) we are. I'm doing good. Uh, Apologies to every single person out there who's been waiting a while to get a new show from us. Uh, It's been the holidays. Uh, We've been traveling and working and doing all the things that a person does uh, over those kinds of days uh, but it's good to be back yeah so we've had some technical issues here and there uh, but we just wanted to uh, update everyone and let everyone know we are recording again and putting the segments in the bag so we just want to give you a little small episode this week uh, give you a little teaser of what's to come yeah, we've got you know more stuff coming up when we uh, come back in full next week. We are going to continue with our great new segment of Blackstone's Vault, uh, which we had a great response from, mm. uh, really enjoying his module reviews. And, of course, Thane's ongoing saga will continue. Uh, we've got some, some new uh, episodes in from that, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, also... In the coming months, now that we are uh, into 2010, we're looking into things uh, like having interviews and, and guests and such. So if anybody has some stuff they'd really like to hear, this is your chance to write to us and let us know perhaps if there's somebody out there you've wanted to hear an interview in person with or somebody you'd like to uh, hear as a guest or even if you have your own segments you'd like to suggest. We are always open to hearing what our audience wants because that's who this podcast is for exactly this is about you and not us so we want you to uh, write us at rfistaff at gmail.com or you can head over to the website and contact us that way uh, let's head over to the sage advice section and uh, talk about some emails greetings old one we seek your advice excellent shit by the fire we shall talk welcome to sage advice yeah, so you've been getting some good ones in to share with me, uh, uh, good and bad. So uh, let's let's see what we've got. Well, first of all, let's start off by we have been getting quite a bit of emails telling us that we have had a great podcast so far, which is very encouraging. Yes, thank you. We uh, we appreciate all of them, and uh, there was one in particular that I had uh, gotten, and I forwarded to you, Jason. You had looked at it the other day. From, uh, is this the good one? <laughs> yes, this is the good one. Let's do let's 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 do the let, let's 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 be and moan about it and about the other stuff, and then we'll do the good one. So we leave a good taste in our mouths. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> first of all, we've gotten quite a few emails. Uh, well, I should say bogus emails from people using the contact form on the uh, site, which you can access very easily, which a lot of people use, which is great. 
and most people put a real email address in. But then we get these few people that bitch and complain, and they leave boring like email at email dot com and things like that, saying we can't you have an MP three show and blah 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 and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so so basically, if totally go ahead and complain because complaints are tell us that people are listening and that they want to hear something different i'm all for that but if you do have a problem technically just please you know leave an email address so we can get back in touch with you and try to well i'm not going to tech support you but uh the fact is we have an mp3 stream that's available we have a enhanced stream that's available if you're using uh well i mean first of all if you're listening to this you figured out how to listen to this so uh, I guess I'm operating on a sort of a strong anthropic principle here that we exist, therefore you hear us. But uh, if for some reason you're able to hear what I'm saying right now but still having trouble hearing <laughs> what I'm saying right now, here's the deal. Go to iTunes, search for our show, Roll for Initiative, and subscribe through there. Or just go to our site, rfipodcast.com, and there's two big buttons on the top right that say subscribe. One of them says iTunes. One of them says RSS. The RSS is MP3 only. So Mm -hmm. if you've got a player that can only handle basic MP3s, that's your button. If you have a player like an iPod or a Zune or an iPhone or anything else that can play enhanced podcasts, Mm -hmm. click the iTunes link and you'll be able to listen to it. Um, And... If it yeah. still doesn't work after that, then you probably can't hear me saying this either. So, And if you even have more troubles, I've gone to the trouble of putting something mid-page that says, Troubles? Download the show. MP3 link. I don't know how much more plain English I could say that. So, press that button. Yes. Okay. Press that button. <laughs> and now on to the good stuff. Although, I mean, really, if there's still problems after all of these things, I do have an old cassette recorder, and maybe I could just make y'all a mixtape. So, a you word? know, send me your home address, and uh, I'll make a cassette, and I'll put little pictures on it and some stickers of ducks and things like that, and then I'll write, you know, like, BFF forever, and uh, I'll put, like, a Night Ranger and some Journey on the back, and on the front I'll put our podcast. How about Winger? And Winger. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> but now on to the, uh, the the cool email that you were telling me about. Uh, yes, I got a cool email from Todd. We'll just call him Todd because I don't really reveal last names because I don't know if he really wants that. But he had said in his email he appreciated the respect and admiration we gave for Gary and uh, for Dave, the creators of Dungeons & Dragons, as he roleplays with someone who created the game. Well, I should say one of the original gamers from the group that created Dungeons & Dragons, Michael. And uh, he went on to explain a whole lot about how they appreciate our podcast and the goodwill nation we shared towards them. And uh, so that was a really nice thing to hear because if it wasn't for those pioneers, we wouldn't have anything to talk about. No, and I, I thought it was uh, nice that, that at the uh, the funerals went well and at Dave's funeral they had a big fishbowl with uh, 20 sides and they said take a dice for him. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. So uh, thanks for all of the uh, thanks for that good email, and of course we've uh, all the other uh, nice things we've heard from people, and uh, you know keep on sending stuff in, and if there's stuff you want to hear differently or stuff that you like, don't hesitate to let us know. Definitely give us a uh, shout out RFI staff at gmail dot com. I almost forgot the email address. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, uh, so we got Gen Con coming up in August this year. 
I'm going. Yeah, it's weird. It feels like it's coming up like really quickly, yeah. even though August is a ways away, just because yeah, there's know. so much hype around getting signed up early. And there's so much snow around us right now. Yeah, and of course, uh, I've booked a, a block of hotel rooms for all of my gamer friends and I that are going out, and uh, all of them now are starting to say, oh my god, those are so expensive, yeah. and I have to point out, August is a ways away. You can put some money in your piggy bank, because it's going to be worth it. Um, mm-hmm. This is only my second Gen Con. Um, be my first. It's certainly not only my second. Uh, it's only my second Gen Con, uh, not my second con of any type, but only my second Gen Con. And last year, we stayed out by the airport. Uh, it was just too far away. I wish that I was in one of the hotels that was just connected to the convention center, so I'm going to do that this year. Um, going to stay there for the whole four days. Might even get in early for a little bit of the Wednesday gaming. And this year, uh, I will be running one game. I'm going to be running uh, a first edition, obviously, <laughs> AD&D game. I'm going to be running through one of the expeditious retreat modules called The Witch's Head, which a lot of people on the Dragon's Foot forums had recommended when I asked for suggestions. And I've bought the module. It is amazing. I love Expeditious mm. Retreat. They are one of the uh, companies that is making new modules for first edition and have some amazing writers, really great artists. So it's going to be a lot of fun, but I'm only going to run uh, one game because I really want to spend most of my time playing in other people's games. But uh, if you hear this and you're going to Gen Con, there's probably time to sign up for a slot in my game of the uh, Witch's Head if you're coming to Gen Con this year. Well, yeah, of course there's time to sign up. They haven't even opened up uh, registration for the games yet, so... Yeah, I, I guess that's true. I haven't I haven't seen the uh, the Excel file that they start putting up yet. Not yet. But I'm hoping yeah. that this year there's going to be uh, some of the same things that were last year. There was a great group from Chicago called the Dead Games Society that brought uh, some Top Secret and some Gamma World last oh, year. Okay. So hopefully they'll be back because those are so much fun to play. Yeah, definitely. And Jason and I will will be there at the Gen Con giving you a Gen Con live show. Well, not a live, but a Gen Con show. So. Yeah, that's right. We can actually do a show from the convention. I'll bring my laptop, you bring your recording equipment, and we'll have a show. Yeah, hopefully some other podcasters will be there uh, this year. Maybe we can uh, kind of go around and catch up with some people. Yeah, it'd be a good opportunity to grab some writers, get some sound bites, things like that. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Um, so it's all the way in August, but the uh, pre-registration is open. And uh, you said there's a, another convention in uh, Pennsylvania coming up oh. earlier than that. Uh, Mepicon that's coming up in May. Uh, Mepicon.com. If anybody lives in the northeastern Pennsylvania that's not covered in snow right now, and uh, New Jersey, New York area, most of those people, some people do come from Chicago too. But Cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty decent-sized convention. They have their own hotel booked for it, so if anyone wants to go, I'm going to it this year. I don't know. Jason maybe can go to it. If you yeah, guys I'm going to try to make it out for that. Do, you have the, do we have the uh, info up on the RFI podcast site? No, I can put it up. I'll put it up for yeah, you. Yeah, let's put it up. Let's, let's, let's put it up. Okay. 
Well, if you're going to go to any of the conventions and want to join us, just give us a shout at rfistaff at gmail.com and hit us up for, uh, we'll, we'll hang out, play a little D&D. Stickler's Spotlight. Well, that's going to bring us into our one feature tonight for the Stickler Spotlight. What are we talking about tonight, Jason? Well, you know, we had a few things on the uh, the roster, and uh, to keep it short, we're picking one, the Stickler Spotlight, because it sounded the most fun, uh, since people like to hear us argue, <laughs> and it's encumbrance rules. Wow. So if weapon speed and length wasn't enough for you before, now we'll get into uh, the dreaded encumbrance that definitely was probably one of the least used rules of the uh, 13-year-old us. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to say so. I mean, I can remember <laughs> I remember playing many games when they're trying to pass off pounds and pounds of gold uh, while my character carrying it and trying to make sure the DM doesn't realize it <laughs> when it's hundreds and hundreds of pounds itself. So, <laughs> Yeah, encumbrance is one of the uh, the rules that I have to admit I don't track it and use it uh, the way that it says in the book, but that doesn't mean that I don't think it's important. It means that I don't think that I'm playing my own game up to full potential yet. Um, mm-hmm. The well, let, let's 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 back it out just a minute and actually go into what the encumbrance rules basically are. We're not going to you know read from the rule book or anything, but uh, it's not just about weight so it's how encumbered you are it's a combination of how heavy the things are that you're carrying but also how bulky and how awkward so you know if you've ever tried to carry a mattress mm-hmm. you you know that if you were carrying a couple of bowling balls on in bags that weighed the same as the mattress it wouldn't be too much trouble but if you're trying to get this bulky difficult mattress around all of a sudden it's a big issue and that's kind of what uh, encumbrance means so the encumbrance of things in AD&D are ex- expressed in gold pieces. And in this sense, it's gold pieces as just a standard unit of measure. So right. that uh, 10 gold pieces is one pound. Uh, I've seen articles in Dragon, and I've, I've, I've heard different people talking about what a gold piece actually should weigh. And there's been discussion over the years about whether 10 gold pieces actually should weigh a pound or not. Hmm. But for, for these purposes, if you see something that says uh, a backpack has, is an encumbrance of 20 gold pieces, mm-hmm. then that's, that means that you've got a two-pound backpack, essentially. Well, isn't if you actually looked at the size of a gold piece, how it's supposed to be, wouldn't that be pretty heavy itself? Yeah, it would be. Um, I, and I think when the rules were made, it made a lot of sense to say, you know, 10 gold pieces would equal a pound. Um, and I don't have the article at my fingertips, but I did read some pretty convincing arguments for why uh, you might want to play in a world where gold pieces were a little bit smaller, but still just as valuable. But I won't yeah. you know, go into that. I think they were uh, thinking right. more of the fact that when you're looking at the gold piece, you're thinking of a standard coin from nowadays, well, back then, 70s, mm-hmm. 80s, like uh, like how the silver dollar was or something. Maybe they mm-hmm. were thinking it was more like, let's compare it to that so it's a little bit more realistic in your mind. I don't know. 
But well, in actuality, I mean, the whole issue yeah. of what money is actually worth in in, a, in an AD and D world and those kind of things, we could spend a whole lot of time on that. But for this purpose, I'm just going to think of this in terms of it's a, it's a measure of encumbrance because the main issue is how much uh, encumbrance is a normal person able to handle so uh, without any strength bonuses that's 1500 gold pieces of encumbrance right before they start being slowed down i i think the real issue here is well okay so there, there's there's a whole little scenario that's laid out in the back of the dungeon master's guide right about why you would want to care about encumbrance and when you read the scenario it totally makes sense you know the idea that you've got people crawling through tight spaces and running through corridors and trying to get through different things and at the same time there's all these issues of well how much are you actually carrying what is your armor like would you be able to get through there from a story perspective there's a lot of opportunity for great dramatic moments when it's a question of either you know drop the treasure or escape with your life mm. drop your armor or make it through the tunnel and then if you get through this tunnel to the place you really needed to be now you don't have your armor with you what are you going to do if there's a way to do that if the dungeon master can actually manage that kind of a situation smoothly without stopping the game and turning it into a math fest i think it could make for a really exciting adventure well I remember the last game that we played a couple of weeks ago. I had uh, actually reason why I picked the encumbrance when we ran up, when I wrote the show notes because we had actually it was an issue in one of my games, mm-hmm. and uh, my players found all this gold, and of course you know they're, they're all greedy, so they packed all their stuff with it. And I said, "All right, no problem." They packed all their stuff, and then it came time to fight their way out of this uh, one of these caves. So I said, "Okay." Go ahead and attack. And they're like, okay, well, I attack. I go, well, how are you going to do that? You're holding two bags of gold. <laughs> so they're like, oh, all right. I dropped them to the side. Fine. You dropped them to the side. They draw their weapons. They attack. And then they leave after the battle. Not mm-hmm. one of them said, I picked up the bags again. <laughs> <laughs> so they walked halfway around the adventure. And then they got back to a point where they could buy something. They're like, I pull out the gold. It was like 500 gold. Like, I pull out some. I'm like, what gold? <laughs> well, the goal from the caves, I said, well, you never went and picked it back up. You said you dropped it to the side for the battle. So I guess, I mean, that could be what yeah, you consider perfect. a DM dick move, but you know what? <laughs> no, I think it's great because it actually gives you a, a wonderful comedy moment when, okay, get out the gold. I thought you had the gold. Yeah. I thought you had the gold. Where's the gold? Who got the gold? Oh, my God, we forgot the gold. You could see the guy at the at the inn reaching in his pocket for gold going, oh, crap. <laughs> You know, and it, it it leads up to a whole lot of other things that I think, to me, are one are, are what I actually like about AD and D. So I'd like to be able to figure out a way to, to to handle this better in my game. You know, it's the questions of, you know, I use my ten foot rod. Where have you been carrying your ten foot rod? Um, you know, I've got my 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 halberd and my axe and my lucerne hammer and my broadsword and my two daggers and my plate wait a minute you know at some point you know Mm. it starts getting to this huge inventory list and it's much more fun to me to think of the game as some sort of a attempt at simulation so you can start saying things like i don't really see how your character would be carrying all that stuff 
Well, yeah, that's true. You, you, that would be quite encumbrance. But I, when I generally have characters, I will say, okay, it's standard to have your weapons, standard to have your armor. I can see that you'd have no problem with a backpack, maybe a lantern or a torch, uh, maybe a belt pouch, uh, maybe your mm-hmm. standard rations, and say, like, you know, holy water, things like that if you need it. But once it starts getting into, like, I have 50-foot rope, I have this, I have steaks, I have that, you know, dog food, then it starts, you know, (laughs) we have to start writing this stuff down. So that's where, I mean, it really would be kind of useful to have some kind of tables. And luckily, there they are on page 225 of the Dungeon Master's Guide. You've got a nice list of the encumbrance, you know, as it says, of standard items. Because I, I don't want to be... Uh, just letting people run loose with any number of things. And I also don't want to spend all my time trying to puzzle out whether or not I could shove a rope into a backpack. Sometimes it's easier to just go with these. Uh, The comic that I was just looking for, but unfortunately I don't know where I put this book, I've got a nice collected uh, Phil Foglio, Phil and Dixie, you know, like the the comic from the back of Dragon Magazine mm-hmm. that they did about uh, how to imagine what it would be like to really be a character, you know, and some of the things that you'd have to do in order to do the crazy superhuman, not superhuman, but, you know, the crazy feats that your characters do. And so one of the things they have, you know, people doing is, you know, running back and forth with bowling balls and stacking them up and all this kind of stuff. Uh it wasn't a totally accurate thing. I mean, we had somebody write to us here at the podcast recently who pointed out that, for example, the kind of armor that was actually worn in medieval times was a lot easier to move in than people think. And it's worth looking at that stuff. But the point of it all is that you can't just imagine that your characters are running down the hall you know, carrying all kinds of stuff and that they're still able to move relatively quietly and that they're still able to, you know, walk around in a tavern, for example, without <laughs> attracting attention. No, yeah, you would you would think that, you know, most of your gear would be put on, like, a horse or a cart or something. I mean, you wouldn't be walking around, like you said, with a giant backpack and ropes and this long staff and... Yeah, and that's one of the things I think that does get lost a lot since mm. so much of the interim action or the interim plot development in the game will happen in a tavern or an inn or in some kindly farmer's home or whatever it is. The idea of having the adventurers standing around in the tavern, you know, in full armor and gear and everything else would certainly attract attention and wouldn't allow them to do some of the things they usually say that they're doing in those cases. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that, that's a good point. I could just see the uh, the fighter standing around full full plate mail, standing inside the bar with his helmet down, sword drawn, drinking an ale. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and, and if if you went with uh, the way that some games get played, that would actually be what was happening. So you know, so looking at the encumbrance on some of these things, I think is kind of worth. Uh, it, it's worth doing if there's a way to do it. Now the trouble is, like I said. This is one of those rules that I really wish I was using properly in my game, mm-hmm. and that if I could figure out a system that I could k- 
keep track of that along with all the other things I'm keeping track of, I'd like to do it. So I, this is a bit of a plea from me to the listeners because I know that there's people out there who use encumbrance, who use it well, and who have a nice, clear system for keeping track of those kind of things. It, it may honestly – it might just be a case of making having your players keep track of this and relying on a bit of the honor system, which yeah. is fine. Uh, but I'd like to hear what people really do. Um, I know a lot of people, I mean, this is, really breaks the spirit of the game, but I know a lot of people do play with laptops these days. I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because you have... Oh, that. yeah. you know what? I think I do. Because um, I was looking at an article in a woodworking magazine the other day. There's something that Thomas Jefferson built. It's actually what he wrote the Declaration of Independence on. It's like this little desk, and you could set it on your lap and it like lifts up and you can put your quill on the side is that okay. it no 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 let's uh, let's rephrase that. i know some people use netbooks <laughs> you're losing me okay this, what is, are a, these things? this is a program that i've used when i played some of my uh, other edition games we, mm-hmm. won't, we won't name those uh called pc gen i don't know if you've ever heard of that jason but no. it is a character generator as uh, so it was mostly used for uh it was primarily made for second edition then moved into third edition and i think now it's in fourth edition but uh what it has is you can generate a character and you can actually sit there with it on your laptop and and there's like a play mode for it and you can sit there and you can roll dice on it and you could uh it keeps track of your encumbrance it keeps track of your hit points it keeps track of like statuses and everything like that so if you pick up something you add it to it it adds it to the weight and then it'll tell you your character is moving at a normal rate or if you pick up too much stuff it'll start saying your character is starting to become encumbered minus this you know it would be actually kind of fun I guess you could try uh, getting a bunch of cheap dice bags and maybe just a bunch of pebbles or marbles or something and saying you know just every time that they're picking up stuff just hand them a couple of marbles to indicate you know maybe each one represents 20 gold pieces of encumbrance or something hmm and then, so once their dice bag is full, anything you hand them beyond that is now they're over encumbered, and uh, you know, so, I, I don't know something or even Ziploc bags, <laughs> Ziploc bags, and a bunch of uh, metal slugs, any old thing like that. I don't know. To me, the idea, first of all, I don't like to have computers out at the gaming table; mm-hmm. um, they're just too distracting. Even if you know, for, for for a lot of reasons. But but second of all, I I feel like it kind of takes away from the original spirit for me, of the, the experience of the game. Not not even whether it's original or not. Even if you're playing fourth edition, even if you're playing um, you know, something that was come up with very recently. Other everybody can disagree, but I just think it and you know what, my DM in the other game, the guy who who uh, Gabe who runs the game that I play in the fourth edition game oh. is going to laugh at this because you know early on he got really mad at me because during the very long stretches of waiting for my turn to swing my sword, I had a bad habit of pulling out my iPhone all the time, and it just made him infuriated for totally good reason. You know mm-hmm. he had every right to be, and he did the right thing, and he just spoke up and said, "Jason, you're driving me nuts <laughs> because I." Just you know, you're you're fiddling around with something during the game, and he was so right, you know. And so it's 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 really kind of led me to that to that same conclusion that I just don't want to see people fiddling around, even the DM with computers at the table. Well, I have to disagree with you there. Uh, 
I, I happen to use a network during a game when I DM. I keep all my notes in it. I keep my NPCs in it. And I also keep, I use that uh, Excel chart from the uh, dragonsfoot.org uh, forum to mm -hmm. uh, keep track of the experience. I think mm -hmm. it, I think it's uh, a really good tool. I, I forget the name of it. I think it's called DM Tools. Um, okay. But it, you can you just input the monster, you input the uh, the stats real quick, and boom, it does the experience for you and saves you the time of actually having to sit there and calculate everything. So yeah, yeah, I I can see the value of that, and you're right. Dragon's Foot has some good tools and everything, but I just at the last Gen Con, I played in a few different first edition games and got to see some wildly varying styles of play, yeah. if, of DMing, I mean, mm -hmm. and there was just something ineffable about the difference between the DMs who were sitting there with notebooks and books and a DM screen versus the games where it was a guy sitting there with a laptop. And it's just something about the way that, as I say, it's ineffable. I'm not even going to try to, no, to quantify I, what it was, but it just wasn't right for me. I, I totally understand there some DMs can't not have their eyes staring at that screen because it's the computer and it's wonderful and the internet is there too. Oh god. If that yeah, if the internet's there, forget about it. Call the game off, go home. Uh, I had a I had a player uh actually he was a DM at first, now he's no longer a DM because we banned him from DM because he just got so bad at it. He brought a laptop to every single session, which is fine because I do it. Ish. Whatever, and right. <laughs> and he would sit there the whole adventure, staring at the laptop while talking. And this would be his adventure. Would be like, all right, uh, we were playing at the time uh, D twenty Modern. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. ever played that, but we were trying that out. And he'd be like, okay, so you guys walk inside the warehouse and uh, and uh, and he'd be searching through his computer for something, and we'd be sitting right. there like, what? He'd be like, and, uh, oh, and uh, the NPC named Johnny would come into the room. It's just like, you know, dude, stop searching through the effing computer and turn towards us and at least face us mm -hmm. and describe the scenario. He's like, oh, I'm looking for pictures for you. Well, Yeah, and that's the thing is it's so easy to get distracted with all the different stuff yeah. that's going on there. And, you know, all right, so th here's one of the reasons that we're late with our show in terms of, you know, where have I been and what have you been doing. <laughs> this actually is a segue. Oh, uh, good segue. <laughs> the The... Just recently, I was a speaker at the Bill Conference out in Los Angeles, and so a lot of my time was taken up in preparing for that talk. Um, but it's what one of my side, uh, my my alter identities is. Um, I'm not going to you know go too much into what my alter identities are, but you know one of the things that I do is as I'm actually you know for, despite my jokes about the laptops, I'm actually quite a technologist, and what I do is user experience, and I've been going forward with a project called Lightful, which is all about how do we take these computers and quit having them stare us in the face and quit having them distract us and waste all of our time when, in fact, we had something we really did want to get done. So the first thing that we did with this project is to say the problem is you've got a screen that's you know it's in your face and it's blocking you from seeing the people you're working with. Put it down. Put it down like a well, again, I was making the joke about Thomas Jefferson's writing desk, but that's because that actually was the physical model for what we're doing, is that it should just sit there like a nice book that's propped up a little bit on the table. You can look down at it, and you can 
use your hands and mess around with it like a book, but it doesn't involve mice and keyboards and screens sticking up at you. And I think when we get to the point that a computer can be a nice, unobtrusive thing that's essentially just like another book on your table, then bring it to the gaming table and it'll fit in. But right now, the idea of these laptops that take up a person's attention completely, and like you said, you know, shiny, shiny, I got to look at it. Yeah. It's too much, and I'd rather just have a person say, you know what, I can't manage that part of the game. We're going to leave it out until I can figure a better method for doing it. Yeah, that, that, that's definitely it. That, that's how it works. And, and, it's, and it's so cool when somebody does come up with a really inventive way to, to manage something. So, like, the, the ways that I've people seen people handle uh, everything from time, you know, new, using really cool little uh, wheels or charts or notebook tables that they've come up with, to money, um, something I can't afford to do, but I've seen these great uh, yeah. coins at the last Gen Con that were, you know, made to look like fantasy world coins that you could actually cool. bring them to your gaming table and just have your players hold them as their money. It just adds so much to the experience to me when you've got some kind of mm. real things going on. Well, yeah, props do add to the game, and that's a whole different segment for a whole different show as we've gone off on a wild tangent here. Yes, and just as long <laughs> as you don't go towards LARPing, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's going to wrap up the, the spotlight for this week, the Stickler Spotlight, and uh, that's going to wrap up the show. Uh, next week, we'll be back with all our full segments and a brand new shiny Thane for you. Yes. As the yes. Uh, as, uh, the voice actor is back, and he has recorded, and uh, Jason will just have to edit that up, and we'll put it in the next show for you. You mean Thane has sent another missile oh, from oh. the distant lands. That's that's right. I meant, yeah, I meant a scroll. Sorry about that. Uh. Shh. <laughs> don't tell anyone our secret. Blackstone Vault. Hello, and welcome to another installment of Blackstone's Vault. I am your host, Nick, a.k.a. Blackstone. And in this segment, I'm going to cover what is probably considered by many some of the, the, the best series of modules ever put out by TSR Hobbies back in the day. And the first in the series I'm going to be covering is Module U1, The Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh by Dave J. Brown and Don Turnbull of the UK division of TSR Hobbies. This part of the U series of modules is recommended for levels 1 to 3. Now the basic plot of the adventure is this. There is a seaside town, a salt marsh, and they've had a problem for a number of years. There's a haunted house on the outskirts of town, which was once inhabited by an alchemist magician. It was rumored for many years that this alchemist was able to turn base metals into gold. So over the years after this alchemist has died, there's been a rumor that there's a, a secret cache of gold has been hidden inside the haunted house and people have looked for it over the number of years but no one could find it. Now and recently in the past couple of months there have been eerie lights and shrieks in the night all around the in and around the haunted house which have been scaring people away. Now the local townsfolk and the mayor they don't like what's going on there so it's up to a brave and hardy band of adventurers to come over to the haunted house and investigate and see what's been going on there. What's really going on, though, is that this haunted house is not so haunted after all. It's being used as a base of operations for some smugglers who are in league 
with several merchants in the town of Saltmarsh, and they're smuggling in a whole bunch of goods that are being sold under the table for a nice hefty sum. And these uh, smugglers are being led by an illusionist that are in the haunted house here. And they get all these smuggled goods via a ship by the name of the Sea Ghost. So you have the haunted house and the Sea Ghost there. Now, major NPCs that most likely will be encountered. You have Ned Shankshaft, who is a third level assassin. He appears to be captured by the smugglers, but it, <laughs> appearances can be deceiving. Now, we'll get to a little bit on him later on in the encounter section. You have also have Sam Belay, who is the illusionist leader of the um, smugglers in the uh, haunted house. So you have that haunted house section. Then you have the crew of the Sea Ghost. And you're going to love these names. You have the captain of the Sea Ghost by the name of Sigurd Snake Eyes. You have the first Nate of Bloody Bjorn. You have Thal Frithoff, who's the bosun of the Sea Ghost. So a lot of you know really cool swashbuckling kind of you know army hearty kind of names there. You also have a third-level magic user by the name of Punketa, who's on board the Sea Ghost, who's aiding the smugglers. You also have um, a uh, aquatic elf by the name of Oceanus, who was captured. He's a fighter thief. He's a three-three fighter thief. He could be encountered later on. Now, some of the major encounters of this module, and it's basically split up in the two sections. You have the Haunted House section, and you have the Sea Ghost section. Now, in the Haunted House section, you have a few good encounters. The first major one is when you come across Ned the Assassin. Now, he appears to be captured, like I said, but he's in league, really, with the merchants and the smugglers. And he's once he gets with the PCs, he tries to befriend them, if he finds out that the PCs are getting a little too close to the truth of what's going on, he will attempt to assassinate at least one player character for, you know, heading off to the hills, if you will. Now, there's the potential right there of one, at least one PC kill. If anything, probably at least the, the leader of the party, or probably the party uh, magic user. Uh, you also have the uh, potential of a counter with some Sturges, so hey, you got Blood Drain right there for some low-level PCs, not such a good deal. You also have some Skeletons that you might come across, so there's the potential of uh, Clerics in the party to uh, show their stuff. You also have a possibility of coming across the Secret Laboratory, or for all of our UK listeners, the Secret Laboratory that was used by the Alchemist Magician. And at the end of the haunted house, you have the uh, battle with Sambalay, some knoll mercenaries, and the smugglers in the caverns beneath the haunted house. So you have the haunted house section right there. Next, you will eventually move on to the Sea Ghost. Now, how the PCs will get to the Sea Ghost, there's a couple ways that they could do, go about it. They can either A, there's some notes in the haunted house that are left by. Uh, the uh, the illusionist Sambalay 
if they f they could possibly find them, or they could capture Sambly, which yeah, that's what happened when I ran this. So, and they tortured the hell out of them. So that's how they got to find out about this signal system that is used. And they also have the potential on the Seagulls for a big uh, shipboard fight. So, you know, a lot of swinging off yard, you know, off across the bow or whatever, and you know, a lot of broadswords flying here and there, so, you know, army hardies, let's, you know, I don't know, damn the torpedoes, if you will. So, <laughs> potential for a big shipboard fight. Then you also have the uh, potential of meeting up with a pseudo-dragon who is with some lizard men, and this pseudo-dragon could be a potential ally to the PCs if they play their cards right when they meet up with them. So, that could happen. You also have uh, Oceanus again, uh, who I mentioned. He's captured by the uh, crew of the Seagulls, and he could be a potential ally as well. But the thing about him is, Oceanus does not speak common. He only speaks Aquatic Elf. So, you have a role-playing opportunity there. How are they going to communicate with Oceanus? So, that's one, that's one that the PCs are going to have to figure out there, too. And probably the biggest thing is, not necessarily a big encounter, but there's a secret cache of weapons that are on board the Sea Ghost. And this cache of weapons is for the Lizardmen. So, if the PCs are, are smart enough, or they put enough things together, they'll find out that these weapons are for the Lizardmen, and that's going to raise a lot more questions. So which will lead up eventually to Module U2, Dangerous Dunwater, which I will cover in the next segment. Now, some of the good stuff about this module. There's a lot of detail to the Sea Ghost. There's a lot of good stuff there as far as the, the map is really good on the different decks of the Sea Ghost. Um, also, the boarding procedures, you know, using the uh, signal system and how they actually board the Sea Ghost. Also, uh, how to handle it at the smugglers decide to surrender to the adventuring party. So, that's covered in about, oh, at least two pages, if not three. Uh, I also think that this has a great plot. I mean, it has a few layers there. You have the so-called haunted house. They go into it. They investigate. They find out it's not a haunted house. They're smuggling goods to merchants. But wait a minute, there's more. When they go out to the Sea Ghost, they find out they're not only smuggling that, they're giving weapons to the lizard men. So, why do these lizard men need the weapons? And is it a threat to the salt marsh? To salt marsh, who, by the way, the lizard men clan is near salt marsh. So, it brings up that question of the threat there too. Also, it's got a spooky, scary atmosphere, at least at first. And really good DMs will play it up quite a bit. So that, that, that will be kind of fun. And then you'll see as the plot thickens out, as I said before, as far as, as far as the plot. And also he has some really cool potential allies, NPCs like the Pseudo-Dragon and Oceanus. So, <coughs> excuse me, that's some pretty cool stuff there. Now some of the not-so-cool stuff. Some people consider this a quote-unquote Scooby-Doo type of adventure. You know, they're going to go investigate this haunted house on the edge of town. It's like, hey, school, let's go check out this haunted house on the edge of Salt Marsh. Oh, sounds cool, eh? Well, some people might not think that's so cool. 
There also isn't much detail to the town at all. There's no map. There's no NPCs covered. So it's up to the DM to flesh it out as much as he would like. And it says that in the module. It's up to the DM how they how he wants to uh, make Salt Marsh be. How it affects, you know, eventually, you know, fit into his campaign. Now, the opinion, and my opinion and how I ran this one, is I merged this module with another one, with uh, module L1, Secret of Bone Hill. I used the map I expanded it quite a bit. I also used the NPCs and added a few more. And it worked great. It, it was fantastic. Uh, and then I find out later on that many DMs have done the exact same thing. That they've merged it with this other module. So, I guess, you know, hey, great minds think alike, right? So, and it, it's a good jump off to a larger campaign. I mean, it's going to end up eventually at 5th level at the end of the series but you can, obviously, you can attach it to other stuff if you want to as far as other modules are concerned um, you can find this module on eBay for around $9 for up to about $17 uh, you can also check it out uh, if you're lucky at some conventions like Gen Con or Origins or some of your local conventions see if you can find it there so all in all, love this module one of my favorites uh, the whole series in itself are is great, so some of the best right there, no doubt about it. So this is the end of this particular segment. I'll come back later on and I'll cover Module U2: Danger at Dunwater. Until then, this is Blackstone signing off, saying, "May all your hits be crits." All right, folks, uh, this will be issue, uh, what did we name it, 6B, 6A, I don't know. Yeah, 7. It's 7. It's fine. All right, issue 7, <laughs> and uh, go to our site, RFI, what was it, RFI Podcast. RFIPodcast.com. Oh, jeez. RFIStaff at gmail.com is our email address, and uh, drop us a line. Uh, talk about encumbrance rules. We need to know what you do in your game. Uh, we can use any advice you can give us. Yes, yeah, solve and, our problem for us. Yes. And this is DM Vincent signing off saying keep it original, keep it old school, and... This has been DM Jason. Thank you very much for listening. Good night, folks. Roll for initiative.